Chapter Twenty One of Marjorie Dean, High School Freshman by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter Twenty One Mignon Plans Mischief. To Marjorie, torn between resentment of Constance's bold display of the stolen pin and shame for her utter absence of honour, the French lesson was a confused jumble. She heard but dimly the rise and fall of Professor Fontaine's voice as he conducted the lesson, and when he called upon her to recite she stared at him dazedly and finally managed to stammer that she was not prepared. "'Ah, Mademoiselle Dean, I am certainly much surprised that you cannot translate these paragraphs,' the little man declared reproachfully. "'I will begin it for you.' and you shall do the rest, Nepa. Marjorie stumbled through the paragraph with hot cheeks and a strong desire to throw her book into the air and rush from recitation. When class was over, she seized her books and left the room without looking in Constance's direction. The eyes of the latter followed her with an expression of perplexed, questioning sorrow that had Marjorie noted and interpreted as such might have caused her to doubt what seemed plain, thresh the matter out frankly with Constance, and thus save them both many weeks of misunderstanding and heartache. At the close of the morning session Marjorie lingered until she was sure that Constance had taken her wraps from the locker and departed. The thought of her beloved pin ornamenting the other girl's blouse was too bitter to be tamely borne. Fierce resentment crowded out her gentler feelings, and she could not trust herself to come in contact with her faithless classmate and remain silent. On the steps of the school she met Jerry and Irma, whom had posted themselves to wait for her. "'I thought you had decided to stay in there all day,' grumbled Jerry. "'It's only five minutes past twelve, protested Marjorie. "'I thought it was at least half-past,' retorted Jerry. "'Say, Marjorie, didn't you say you had lost your butterfly pin?' "'Yes,' replied Marjorie shortly, bracing herself for what she felt would follow. She was not the only one who had seen the pin in Constance's possession." "'Did Constance Stevens find it?' quizzed Jerry. "'Yes.' "'Oh, then that's all right. I saw her wearing it this morning, and I'm not the only one who saw her either. Mignon had her eye on it in French class, and I wouldn't be surprised to hear of some hateful remark she had made about it. You know, she still insists that Constance took her bracelet.' She might be mean enough to say that Constance found your pin and didn't give it back to you. Marjorie stared at Jerry in amazement. Without knowing it, the stout girl had exactly stated the truth about the pin. You needn't stare at me like that, went on Jerry. Of course we know that Constance wouldn't be so silly as to try to keep a pin belonging to someone else that everyone recognised. But lots of girls would believe it. I suppose you let Constance wear it because you two are so chummy, but you'd better get it back and wear it yourself. Then Mignon can't say a word. I'll think about it, 
was Marjorie's evasive answer. But once she had said good-bye to the two girls, she began to deliberate within herself as to what she had best do. Here was an extingency against which she had failed to provide. She had resolved never to betray Constance to the girls, but now Constance had, by openly wearing the pin, betrayed herself. Either she would be obliged to go to Constance and demand her own, or allow her to wear the bit of jewellery and create the impression that she had sanctioned the wearing of it. When she returned to school that afternoon, she had half determined to see Constance and put the situation fairly to her. But rather to her relief, Constance did not appear at the afternoon session, nor was she in school the next day. When Friday came and she was still absent, Marjorie was divided between her pride and a desire to go to the little grey house and settle matters. On Saturday she was still halting between two opinions, and it was four o'clock Saturday afternoon before she put on her wraps with the air of one who had made up her mind and started for the Stevenses. As she approached the house, she looked toward the particular window where Charlie was so fond of stationing himself to peer out on the dingy little street, but there was no sign of the boy's white, eager face. To her vivid imagination, the very house itself wore a sad, cheerless aspect that filled her with a vague apprehension of some impending unpleasantness. She knocked briskly at the door, then waited a little. There was no response. She knocked again, harder and longer, but still silence unbroken by any footfall reigned within. After pounding upon the door at intervals for at least ten minutes, she turned and walked dejectedly away from the house of denial, speculating as to what could possibly have become of the Stevens. At the corner she almost ran against Mr. Stevens, who, with his soft black felt hat poured low over his forehead, was hurrying along, his violin case under his arm. "'Oh, Mr. Stevens!' cried Marjorie. "'Where is Constance? I have just come from your house, and there is no one at home.' Mr. Stevens looked mildly surprised. "'I thought you knew,' he answered. Didn't Constance tell you she was going away? She and Charlie went to New York City yesterday. They are to meet Constance's aunt there. It was very unexpected. She received a letter from her aunt on Tuesday. I was sure she had told you. Mr. Stevens's fine face took on an expression of perplexity. I did not know it, responded Marjorie soberly. When will she return? I am not quite sure. I shall not know definitely until I hear from her, was the discouraging reply. I'm sorry I didn't see her, was all Marjorie could find words for as she turned to go. Goodbye, Mr. Stevens. Goodbye, Marjorie Dean. The musician bared his head, his thick white hair ruffling in the wind. You will hear from Constance, no doubt. No doubt I won't, breathed Marjorie as she walked on. What would he say, I wonder, if he knew? He'll never know from me, neither will anyone else. 
I hope those girls will forget all about seeing Constance wear the pin. But the affair of the pin was destined not to sink into oblivion, for the next morning Marjorie found on her desk the following note. Miss Dean, do you think you are doing right in shielding a thief? It looks as though a certain person either stole or found and kept a certain article belonging to you, and yet you allow her to wear it before your very eyes without protest. If you do not immediately insist on the return of your property and denounce the thief, we will put the matter before Miss Archer, as this is not the first offence. This is the decision of several indignant students who insist that the girls of the freshman class shall be above reproach. Marjorie's eyes flashed her contempt of the anonymous missive. She folded it quietly, then, reaching into her desk, drew forth a sheet of notepaper and wrote, Miss LaSalle, although the note I found on my desk is not signed, I am sure that you wrote it. I do not think you have the slightest right to dictate to me in a personal matter. Miss Stevens and I are perfectly capable of settling our own affairs without the help of any member of the freshman class. Marjorie Dean Mignon's pale face flushed crimson as she read the note which Marjorie lost no time in sending to her via the student route which was merely the passing of it from desk to desk until it reached its destination. With a scornful lifting of her shoulders, she flung the note on her desk, then snatching it up, tore it into tiny pieces. When school was dismissed, she lingered, and twenty minutes afterward emerged from Miss Archer's office in company with Marcia Arnold, an expression of triumph in her black eyes. When she reached home that afternoon, she took from the drawer of her dressing-table something small and shining and examined it carefully. "'It looks just the same, but is it?' she murmured. "'Where did the other come from? I don't understand it in the least.' "'Just the same, Marjorie Dean thinks Miss Smarty Stevens took her pin. She was thunderstruck when she saw that Stevens girl wearing it this morning.' She's too much afraid of not telling the truth to deny it in her letter. There's something gone wrong with their friendship, too. I'm sure of it from the way they have been acting. I don't know what it's all about. But I do know that this, she touched the small shining object, shall never help them solve their problem. End of chapter 21 Recording by Ashley Jane